Why don't you like shortbread? It's not I don't... No, I don't like shortbread. You don't? You, bit... you have said multiple times, I do not like shortbread. There's no in-between here. multiple times? Yes. Yes. I would think if someone was going to provide baked goods for free as a sort of gift, if that was the thing that they're known for, that you would at least have a go at eating some of it rather than just saying, I don't like it. But is it quite nice also to be honest and say if someone goes to all that effort and they bring in beautifully, if it is going to be beautifully baked shortbread, and then you either don't take any at that point, if you bake something and you come in and you're so happy and you offer it to someone, they say no, immediately you feel a little bit of they don't like it. So I'm, I'm sort of getting in there first and saying... Well, I, no, I, but you did the same to Jill, to Jill Krabers, who made her... The the maker of the shortbread. <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, my shortbread is uh, legendary. That's that's definitely true. But, what, um, no, what, but makes Jill, it, what makes it legendary? Can you say your own shortbread is legendary? Doesn't it yes. have to come from someone else? How does it become um, legendary? Well, what makes it legendary? Because it's not, my, it's not my recipe. Define legendary. But it's the recipe of <laughs> define legendary. <laughs> Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't even know if I know what it means, but I like it, so, so I'm going to attach it to the label of my shortbread. But, uh, but Gigi's just particularly difficult when it comes to snacks. Every Grand Slam, you must have this in Roland Garros when you're working alongside her, Pete, <laughs> that she is desperate for snacks, for people to bring her snacks, and particularly free you snacks. You might have to be careful here. Very, very careful. No, I do not have that problem. I do not know what you are talking about. <laughs> I have to say... I am not a hostage. <laughs> I'm not a hostage. I have to say, at Roland Garros, um, our engineer, Stefan, is, is brilliant, and there's, it's four o'clock every day. Yes. Whoever's on air, he said, would you like a, a crepe, would you like a pancake or a waffle? Every day at four o'clock, regardless of, of who's there, he offers a waffle and he will pay for it. Well, we, the, the tournament puts money on passes to get some food and he, from his own money from his pass, he will offer everyone bits and pieces. Pete normally brings Tim Tams. Yes. Not enough, one would say, but he does bring them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, you're, it's a nightmare well, when it comes to snacks. See, the problem with that, in my defence, I'm going to be saying that a lot today, in my defence... Gigi goes, sets us going at the start of the day and sets the tone for the broadcast and here's what we're going to be doing and puts everything in place and then just disappears for seven, eight hours while she just wanders onto the television, ah. on the television screens and then comes back at the end of the day. Now, if you're going to come back at the end of the day, of course we're going to get through most of the food because there's a lot of commentators and they get very hungry because they're busy working through the day. Whose idea was it for Pete to come on after? <laughs> um, we're, we're a couple of minutes in. I think I'm already regretting it. I've been, I've been battered about shortbread <laughs> and, and snacks in general. I know. I, th- I think every... All of the last five episodes have had a segment that revolves around Shishi's need for snacks. But, but, not, do you, but, but hang on, sorry, Peter, do you bring... Hello. Hello. Do you bring your... This is Peter Mikato, by the way, for people. Well, everyone knows that. The legendary Peter Mikato, <laughs> to go legendary. with your legendary shortbread. Oh, I, I can't provide a definition <laughs> yeah, for that. Yeah, no, it's just, just sitting here, he is. But when you come, when you come to... When you travel from Australia to work, you bring Tim Tams, yes. always. Yes, So you pack it in your luggage. Yes, uh, no, I don't. I buy it at the duty-free. I should pack it in the luggage because it's, it's much cheaper if you buy it from the supermarket, but I can never get myself together in time to go down to the supermarket, buy the packets, put in the suitcase. And the other thing, too, is when I travel from Australia, I travel through the Middle East. So if I'm sort of staying there overnight or um, I'm transiting through, I'm, I'm always concerned because it's 45 degrees 
if that suitcase is left out in the sun, that they might be somewhat melted by the time they get over here. Strong. So I like putting it in the the the, uh, the hold with me. But Strong Tim Tam tactics. Yes. With snacks, because <laughs> it's a serious point that needs to be addressed. When you're working at a tennis tournament, this week we're working on the Rolex Paris Masters together. They are they're long days, especially Paris indoors. Three courts, largely two are used. There's a lot of matches to be played. You need some snacks. That's normal. So I'm just looking after everybody to make sure there's... Our producer has a, has a box full of snacks. I don't think they're to be shared, but he does have a big box of snacks. Oh, it is, because you need that... Particularly if you're doing lots of different things through the day. So we've all been in that situation where we've gone from match to match to match. It might be TV to radio and all of that sort of stuff where you're just running around. You don't actually have time to sit there and actually have a, a proper meal. You get to the end of the day, you look at your watch and go, oh, it's 8 o'clock. Where did that time go? And 12 hours has just gone, just disappeared. So, yeah, that, that's not a bad point. Sounds like you're getting all the good matches if 12 hours just flies by. <laughs> I mean, we all, I mean, it, it does, in general, it does fly by. But occasionally you get a, uh, <laughs> get a very tough match to, to compensate on. Yeah, but I'm not looking at the watch the whole time going, oh, can I get out of here? No, I mean, no, we, we're all very lucky. Peter I spends think... a little bit of time dancing in the <gasps> commentary box, and commentary boxes aren't always the biggest of places. We're, we're lucky enough that the commentary boxes we work in, because in, in this modern day and age, everything's about being streamed live, and there's webcams, and I'm so happy when we work together on ATP Tennis Radio, there is not such a thing, because for people to have to witness mm. Peter... Mm dancing or, or raving I think as it was yesterday well if you bring the music if you bring the beats that is going to happen yeah it's fair enough. I mean I bop along I mean I love our, our music which is the bed and I just I bop along with my head but I think you were, were full-on you, you did the sprinkler I was doing everything anything I could think of pulling it out of the bottom drawer <laughs> what's the sprinkler like sprinkler it's a move it's a dance move what? Peter can demonstrate yeah, um, if actually no I, I the best person who does that there's a gif that's the right term, isn't it? There's a GIF uh, online of Alex Dimonor doing it when he, at the start of the year, when not many people knew of him, um, the host broadcaster in Australia did it. Check it out. If you want to see the sprinkler, he knows how to do the sprinkler much better than I do. Can I just, um, can I ask you about uh, Alex Dimonor? Yes. Of course. I'm, I'm, I, 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 <laughs> yes. You I'm can. assuming that you know stuff about him. He's obviously new and, and fresh but and he's a youngster. Australian, so I'm not sure you're asking the right go. person. Here we go. Father Thought Uruguay, we get to this. Mother Spanish. <laughs> right, okay. Well, you're, I'm you're, then... you're going with that? Really? Really? Okay. <laughs> so Gigi's in a difficult mood today. That's. <laughs> That's what we've gathered. Uh, anyway, Peter. Yes. What do you know about Alex Di Menor? Because, uh, I mean, I've seen him play um, and I've seen him play through the year and uh, he's great. He's, he's, it's interesting because he is not a typical Australian player in terms of coming through the ranks in Australia. So in terms of, you know, seeing him at wildcard playoffs or junior tournaments and then the ITF circuit and all that sort of stuff, he hasn't been there. But Tennis Australia, you know, a number of years ago, as a number of federations did, set up camp in Spain. And I think they've got a thing with uh, Rafa's Academy as well. There was something about that a couple of years ago. So this is sort of the flow-on effect from that. It's actually not a bad thing, being based outside Australia, plying his trade. No one's talking about him. No one's noticing him, except Leighton Hewitt, of course. 
witness the talent to just jump on board and has been working and, and mentor mentoring him along the way and I, I I think this is fantastic because he's got the right temperament he, he's got the same mannerisms as Leighton he's been kept under wraps he hasn't been thrown into the spotlight like some of the others have you are the next big thing and all of that sort of pressure that that comes with it and the results are going to show I think it's just going to be a consistent sort of but rise up the rankings. It's only a matter of time for that pressure to start because he's a teenager. He's now the number one ranked Australian male tennis player. He does have Leighton Hewitt in his corner. There are those comparisons. So as much as he can stay out of it based in, in Alicante in Spain, is there a chance? So what are the Australian press like? Will they suddenly leap on him and expect huge things of him? Well, it'll be that sort of thing of, OK, well, he's up there with... Kyrgios, he's there at the moment with Milman, he's there with a whole, the, the Ebden as well. So there's a cluster of players, Kokonakis, we can actually play a full year on the tour. Um, there's a cluster now of them. So I think when we talk about coverage, and you people would know more than anyone else, when we get to the championships about focusing on one particular player, that it's actually spread out. And, and of course, Ash Barty on the other side too. So it's not as if there is one player our entire focus is on him. He probably at the AO will play on, on uh, High Sense Arena, which is now going to be called Melbourne Arena or Margaret Court Arena first up. And then if he ends up playing like a Federer or a Djokovic a little bit later on in the tournament, that's where the pressure will start. But he's just being allowed to go about his business. It's almost, it's, it's Ash Barty-like. Barty went away from the game, he's now come back. There's not that enormous pressure to perform and you're the only one and this we're relying on you sort of thing. So I think that's going to work in his favour. But it's about, it's about what, what age you get the pressure as well because it's really tough if you get pressure from a really young age and if you get pressure when you're a bit older, um, kind of late teens, you can just, I suppose you can just kind of process it a bit better and deal with it and you're just a bit more mature really. It's when, you're, when you're super young and everyone says you're the next big thing and you've got years before you could even possibly be the next big thing, it's pretty tough. And he's not doing loads of press at the minute either because he's just not at home. I mean if you're going to base yourself in Europe the the Aussie media is not going to be flying over to do in-depth stories and reports and all that sort of stuff. We might see some sort of arranged around early January that you might see on in the Saturday newspaper It'll or something like that. It'll be interesting when it comes to January because he had the, the breakthrough Australian summer last year and people started talking about him. People didn't really know about him. He's managed to back it up through the year. He's got the next-gen finals. It's going to be very, very interesting when we head back down under for the start of the season to see what that pressure is like because he's now going into it as the number one player. And and a known quantity too. So he's got to defend points because obviously we go back to Sydney in the, the Sydney final and we go back and look at that and go, gee, gee, played pretty well in that first first <laughs> half of the year. But, uh, you know, it's a pressure expectation on all Aussie players when they get there. But it's just great now that we have a volume of players so we can spread the load a little bit. Now, I want to bring Naomi into a debate that we've been having on air this week. We didn't agree... We do agree on some things. What do we agree on? Actually, that could probably be a short segment. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, do, we do agree on some I'm sure we agree on some things. Yeah, we'll think of it in a minute. Just bear with us a moment, Naomi. We'll think of this. Do you think that toilet breaks should be timed? Would you like to be timed going to the toilet? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so... 
I'm assuming that this conversation is around somebody took a very long no, toilet no, break. Maybe, we maybe just... it was Milos Raonic, who likes to take a while. No, I, d- I don't think it was. I, think, I don't even know how it came up, but we were talking about the shot clock that we had through the US Open series and we don't have here. There's an awful lot of ball bouncing. I mean, we had Novak Djokovic, Marin Cilic matches back to back. So if you're a fan of ball bouncing, it was the absolute <laughs> golden ticket. But <laughs> Wait, we would you put that on your Twitter handle? Sort of. Fan of ball bouncing. Lives in London. Fan of ball Just bouncing. Just really like the, the sound it makes. Oh, yeah. Naomi's talking about, has spoken about her love of smelling balls. So maybe that's something. Dominika Sibylkova, we know the tennis player who likes to sniff them beforehand. Has entered yeah. competitions to tell the different types of balls. So it might be something that's added to is it. Is there anything better than, than opening up the tin of balls it's too? Nice, that nice feeling? sound. Oh, it's crisp, yes. ripping it off before practice. Yep. Yep. Oh, just, you know, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a great smell. Um, you two have a moment there. <laughs> When it comes to... So a comfort break at the end of a set, toilets, uh, yeah. toilet break, do you think they should be timed? Do you think the stopwatch should go and you're, 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 you're on court, you're at Wimbledon, it's a big moment for you, and suddenly the stopwatch goes and you know you've got to go pee and come back in 90 seconds. Yeah, I think that's fine. I, uh, it's it, not, my, no, I didn't my, say 90 seconds, though. No, but in my entire career... How long would you give people to go to the toilet? You're putting a bit of mayo on this. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, if you're leaving the court, maximum five minutes. Oh, gosh, that's way but too I generous. Too, I think that's too long. I think then, that's way then you will have people abusing it. I, I, I just think sometimes there's so many things coming into the game. We need to treat people as they are as adults. If they need to go for the toilet, and it can depend because if you're on an outside court, the toilet might be further. If both of you need to go, maybe there's only one. And I wouldn't want the pressure. You leave the court thinking, I've really got to pee quickly and get back out. I don't want to get a violation. Just let people be adults, go to the toilet and come back out. But the pressure is why you're going to the bathroom in the first place. Exactly. You don't need to go. Honestly, people don't need to go to the toilet. In my entire career, I took a toilet break once. Once, and that was because you know before the Did match. Did you take get... a long time? No, and also I ran. <laughs> you you jog it in like because you don't want to be rude to your opponent. You don't want to keep them waiting. Uh, but but we need to sort of quarantine that comment because you jog everywhere. <laughs> you you jog everywhere. <laughs> Naomi doesn't. Well, this is the thing. Walked I'm going to give you some today. insight. <laughs> Naomi doesn't walk anywhere. Naomi likes to jog places so like just okay we, we might have had lunch somewhere and you go okay Naomi I'll see you later and I go one way Naomi's phew, gone off this side of you yeah um so so I was chatting with Peter about this we went for dinner at Wimbledon we went out in Southfields didn't we just down the road and I was Gigi's talking about the look it of, hang on why wasn't I because I get I know I get messages from Naomi saying I, I don't want to go to the gym it's tough I'm the same I'm like I don't want to go today and we're sort of encouraging each other to go and, and go to the gym and now you're telling me this comes from a person that doesn't stop jogging yep yeah I I didn't think it was weird until we had this conversation at dinner and it turned out that that everybody that worked on the Wimbledon radio channel thought it was weird and that was about 25 people I'm a little <laughs> bit lost what what do you do that's weird so I just uh, if I'm walking from A to B and I'm trying to get somewhere, I would just rather run than walk. I've never seen this. So Isn't if that I, weird? I've never so seen this. For example, if I go and park in a supermarket, I'm going shopping, and a big supermarket, big car park, and I park far away from the doors, uh, I'll just run to the supermarket. I'll walk around the supermarket. I'm not a lunatic, but... <laughs> no, not at all. No, I'm not getting that sense at all. But so I just run from A to B. It's, just, it's quicker. Today we walked... We walked into the arena 
Yes, because we came at the same time. There was, there was no jogging. Oh. No, because I was with you. So if I'm with somebody, I will just walk. But it's just if I'm by myself. And uh, so, for example, at home, I, again, I walk to the supermarket. It's about a seven-minute walk to the supermarket, or it's about a three-minute jog. Did you think Naomi was running away from you then? No, no, no. <laughs> so, so, no, to be fair, Naomi was way. kind enough as we were walking. I went to the station to actually... Uh, we walked together and then said goodbye, and phew, off she went. There was sort of this. Oh, and dust. I actually did just. There was this sprint dust down cloud. The road. There was this dust cloud, and sort of the, the image out of the dust was Naomi, sort of in a running pose. She was gone that quickly. No, off. and it was it's a proper. That was because uh, it was downhill. It was a proper kind of sprint. <laughs> just went. It was. Do you know what? It came out of when I was kind of coming home. If I was coming home from somewhere late at night for example, and it was dark, I always wanted to, if I'd been out with friends or whatever, I would always either be wearing flat shoes or have some flat shoes with me so that I can wear them home so that I can run if somebody's chasing me. <laughs> no one's ever chased me. <laughs> and then... Uh, Oops. And then it's just... <laughs> and it's just she become, makes it sound like she wants someone to chase yeah, her. I know. <laughs> I think that was, yeah. that was the worst thing about... I'm probably yeah. more likely, about it's probably more likely that people will chase me now because I'm just running. People are just thinking, what on earth is going on? But I just, um, in general, unless I have a reason to walk, which is either I'm walking with you, Gigi, or I'm walking with you to the station, Peter, whatever it may be, unless I have a reason to walk, or if I'm carrying stuff... Or if I'm in inappropriate shoes, all those are reasons that I would walk. I will just run. Are the shoes you're wearing now inappropriate or appropriate? No, I can run in these. They're just boots. So when we, when we finish tonight, when the sun has set and darkness has settled, if there's an option to walk out together, Peter, I say we hang back. Okay. Because I want to see me run. Do you want to see it? I'll... I've got a starter's pistol in my bag. I just want... <laughs> just, boom, away, I just, off we just, goes. we just hang back a little bit. Yeah. And I just want to see that, that flash of light as, as Naomi charges. Does, does anybody... Can I just... Uh, can I put a... a a, a plea does anybody run anybody listening to this does anybody do what I do as in I just I have to have a reason to walk I That's think the, the ultimate question that we're missing out here Gigi is that we know Naomi next year has a big event big life event coming up are you going to run up the aisle <laughs> not walk are you going to sort of get a that gallop up brilliant. the aisle or, or when you're married run down the aisle the other way uh, <laughs> we don't mind which way you run just at least because one way. <laughs> because okay. it's going to be sort of a large so not in necessarily a, a confined space so you could get like a big bowlers run up going no but there. you do know why Naomi like the flash and just phew, off you go you do know why Naomi might be running because in an earlier podcast she agreed to I didn't agree copy what Philip Kohlschreiber did married in the morning Kitzbull in the afternoon so I think we did we find a challenger in Kazakhstan or somewhere so yes. we thought we might after just wondering, you're going to Almaty. Mm. After the wedding. I've been there. I've played in Almaty. On a plane to a challenge to see if she can mirror what Philip Kohlschreiber did. Yeah, again, I, I didn't agree. Well, I don't... <laughs> I think there's probably a, a semblance of irrelevance to that because it's kind of... It's, it's only 50% of the decision-making process here. So imagine what happens when you went home after doing that podcast and sort of ran that past the other half. Yeah, I didn't run it past no, him because it's not going to no. happen. Is and he also, a runner? Does he run everywhere he's, too? No, he no. That would be a weird couple, wouldn't it? No, he thinks, <laughs> he thinks I'm crazy. We go for runs together. That, that's nice. I mean, that is going for a run. It's not just yeah, exactly. bursting into a run. Just, yeah. No apparent reason. 
I know. No I'm now starting to think it's a bit weird. Well, this is a, I just want is to it a bit weird? It really it's just more efficient. It. If I was doing looking after the music for your wedding, I'm just all thinking of songs with Run or Ran in it. I've got so many that you could just go up the all aisle. Right. We'll, we'll do orchestral sort of versions of them. Well, if I get cold feet and decide to run away, I'll be all right. I can go for a while. We're going to do a podcast on her wedding day too. <laughs> Again, <laughs> this has not been agreed. <laughs> Should you say, I do... Is that what is that the right? I'm just imagining Live microphones on the podcast. <laughs> appearing be here. I'll just stand beside the happy couple and sort of point a microphone in. Yes, and, and we now can get fo- do commentary over the top. And now, folks, they have written their own vows. I'm whispering because I'm just stand standing by. to the side of the happy couple. The best man has stepped forward oh. with the rings. They're just asking the question: Does anyone have any reasons why they shouldn't? We took a Twitter <laughs> poll on this. We'll all pause. We got we got 92. percent We're trying to find the eight percent. Okay. <laughs> You met, your invitation is actually in my bag that I have with me, Gigi. <laughs> I have a feeling <laughs> I'm not going to get it. It's I can do commentary at this moment right now. It's going to be replaced by a cup of stay in the bag. <laughs> We're already way it's over not going our numbers. Anywhere. I'm more than I'm trying to cull wherever possible. I think top I've of been, my list. I think I've been culled. I'm terribly sorry about that. And <laughs> that, that's the hardest. I reckon that would be one of the hardest things trying to assemble a guest list. Culling mm. me live on air well, <laughs> in the podcast. Wow, well, you know. It's the industry, isn't it? There has been. <laughs> it's just the final frontier doing it on air. Yeah, it's it's a bit brutal, isn't it? There there has been talk about the theme of the wedding being Wimbledon theme. This talk has again, it has not come from me. Um, We've talked about this. As in, yes. everybody has to wear white. No, no. <laughs> Actually, I didn't no. think of that. I was thinking that more the, wim- no, the Wimbledon thinking, yeah. colours, the official colours. So the flowers being purple and green. That's fine. I'm happy with that. But I. You could take them from Wimbledon. They know oh. they have the sale. They have the sale four days oh, after. It's actually really close. Four days after Wimbledon finishes. <gasps> I'm going to make a call. You have to know the right people to get to the sale. A friend of mine went this year. She drove her car up before it even started, opened the boot, and just loaded everything in. And it's a donation to charity. But she got the most amazing flowers, all in the colours. And they, I mean, it's quite a risk because if you get elbowed out the way, you'll have no flowers at your wedding. But what an opportunity. Donate money to charity. Get amazing flowers that actually come from Wimbledon. That would be mate. That would be awesome, actually. That's a really good idea because it's just before. Do it I should get be my happening. invitation now? Possibly. Possibly. No, but the, the Wimbledon theme, I'm definitely going to look into that. But the Wimbledon Can, but just for the ceremony. The Wimbledon theme, it was suggested that we get... Isn't it better to come for the second bit? Well, yes, but... In terms of, I'm not know, sure if you're aware. It's up. a whole weekend. <laughs> a weekend. Yeah. I'm not sure There's you're aware. No of There's no coming for a bit. There's no coming for a bit. Oh. But it was suggested with the Wimbledon theme that we uh, get an umpire's chair, and then people do the speeches out of the umpire's chair. But I very quickly, very quickly moved I, away from no, that as I'd a thing. Kick it up a gear as you're running down the aisle official Wimbledon theme. You could go to the, down the aisle to the official Wimbledon theme. Oh, right. What, what today at Wimbledon? No, no, no. Da, the, da, 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 I mean, that'd be da, 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 awesome. I love that theme. Uh, no, the other one. Wimbledon has an official song. Oh, right. Oh, yes, of course. Mm. Yeah. You could okay. just... Down, I mean, that's very official. It's, it's very dramatic. As the Venus Rosewater dish. Mm. So not really cake, more of a plate. Yeah. An edible plate. What, but, what will the table names be? If it's Wimbledon themed, champions. Court one. Oh, I haven't decided. Court two. Favorite players. Court three. Court eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> Put a little have, plaque there. You can sit on court decided. eighteen. I have to be on court eighteen. Yes. Why? Is that your court? No. Well, think about the momentous events that Gigi spent oh, of course. a quarter of her life covering. Uh, did you get a plaque? 
I didn't get a. I, I didn't, feel I like didn't you should even, have been added to the plaque. I didn't I think. even get a crystal vase, which even the umpires who and Muhammad Layani and John Isner got. Yeah, but the, but but Muhammad Layani should have got put on the plaque. Only Isner and Mahu were put on their plaque on court eighteen. Incredible bladder control from all concerned. What, exactly, what you do not need. Uh, there we go. Back to the toilet breaks. You don't need toilet breaks. Now I'm not saying people. I think if you put a time limit in, it would encourage more people to take them. So I'm actually discouraging. I think if you suddenly said, as a five-minute comfort break, oh, fantastic, I don't really need it, but I'm going to take it. That's why I don't think you, you make it a thing when you put a time on it. Five minutes is madness. That's a, that's a, that's crazy. I, I agree. I think that's just kind of encouraging. I think putting thing. a time on it encourages it. I think if you need a wee, off you go, you come back. And every now and then someone will go a little bit longer, me not around, it's changes the clothes but I think you're only going to be dealing with those kind of problems outdoors grand slams very hot tournaments when people take the whole change of clothes and some have a quick shower the thing is though yeah and that's what I said quarantine the heat rules and stuff out of that because that can be a separate sort of thing but if you think about okay I've served an ace hold serve 5-4 I walk to the chair about 30 seconds get myself set up or I've won the set when you change you're a very good player and then 6-4 I won 6-4 bang knocked over the set and I sit down I need to get my stuff out of my bag I need to get the Lions person that takes about a minute four minutes to go then walk into the locker room or a special room to the side do what I need to do get changed I am ready to serve ready to receive or serve at the end of that five minutes I just I just don't think I I just don't think longer if you're further away I just don't think it's necessary. At the change of ends, you've got your 90 seconds. Use that. Yeah, or two minutes. Or two minutes end. at the end of the set. So I'm saying I'm just extending it so to five got, and done with it. No, you've got two minutes and I just, just jog. I just think that would encourage more delays. And they're trying to, it feels like they're trying to speed things up with the shot clock and through the US Open series. I think if you start saying you've got five minutes, people that people will use five it, don't minutes. need it will use five minutes. And that's, that's a long toilet break. I think what we can do is get our mates at Hawkeye, because they would keep stats on in terms of between sets, how long they take, surely someone would keep stats because they, they time everything anyway. I just we'll be able to find out and get a body of evidence I just together. can't see why, why people need to have toilet breaks at all. And I just think if you are, if you are in a situation where you, you are desperate, then run, do it quickly, come back, and you'll probably be around 90 seconds to two minutes so anyway. So you went once? Once, and that was after the warm-up. Because, you know, before the match, I, I, was, I was getting nervous, so you kind of go a lot... I just I just hadn't gone one extra time, and then I did the warm up, and I kind of really needed to to go. But that counts as one, or it did count as one for me. I think they may have changed the rules now, but um, yeah, I I dived off the court, and again I I ran. That's what I don't understand. It's like when when you when your opponent's about to serve, but you need to change your strings because it's new balls or whatever, and they just amble on up. It's, oh, it's just rude. Faffing. You're just keeping people waiting. Happens. Run, like just jog and grab it and come back. It's fine. Like it's that's not an issue. But it's just uh, I just don't I just don't see the need at all. Um, and I know that people talk about well particularly women you know you never know they might need longer or they might need unlimited time again i i don't want to be harsh about it um but i don't really see that i mean female athletes in other sports like swimming and gymnastics and all these sorts of things where it could be an issue it doesn't seem to be any sort of issue no race has ever been delayed because somebody needed to sort something out so i just don't really i don't know i feel a bit mean but i don't really get it (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, I just don't think a time should be put on it. I think if, if you have to go, you have to go. And you're just allowed to go. And largely people do not abuse that. They do not take too long. And I just think with everything in this day and age, let's just treat people like adults and just let them go to the toilet. Let's not put a stopwatch on them. Or we'll do that when we're commentating today. When Peter needs a toilet, let's time him. Oh, but I won't do Peter. that in the middle of a commentary stint. Exactly. You just but you don't. might do it at the end of a set. But you've done five matches. You, sorry, you've done a best of five set match, right? And not gone to the loo? Well, the, the, the second day of Isna Mahu was nine and a half hours. And I didn't go to the toilet. Mm. Not saying I didn't want to go to the toilet, but I didn't go to the toilet. It is possible not to go to the toilet, but for some people, they need to. For some people, it's more comfortable. No, but I just but don't buy that because you're out there, you're sweating a lot. The moisture is getting out of you. It, it's just not... For me... I just don't think anybody really needs to go. Can I just, just on that Isnamahu point, do you think that Gigi should release a book and incorporate that as a chapter in the book? What would the other chapters be about? Rise up through the ranks, <laughs> memorable moments of commentary. But it isn't. It, thoughts it, on life. Is it one of your most memorable moments? Thoughts on life. Yeah, just start <laughs> writing sure. thoughts on I'm life. I'm not sure what they are, and I'm not sure anyone would be interested in them. Even <laughs> chapter if I did four, have some. things I don't like. Top of the list, shortbread. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure be, so, I'm that sure, will be a long sure chapter. Some, I, I, I would, if, if Naomi went to the, the wonderful effort to make these legendary shortbread biscuits, mm. I would eat one, but I just find them a bit dry and crumbly. Okay, well, mine aren't. That's all I'm saying. But that's what a shortbread is, right? No. Hmm. The thing is that you could actually write a book just on that particular match and the insights from the players, people who were there, from your perspective that sort of thing and sort of break it down that way. I think the funniest moment from that match was during those nine and a half hours when I was, I wasn't in a commentary box, so I was standing and I was on my own because it initially, it hadn't been one of the highlight matches. I was just going to do reports and I seemed to, being half French, I'd just go and follow the French players and my who was a French player, so off I went. And the interest built and the people gathered behind us. And I remember I really did need the toilet and there was a woman waving a bottle of water like shaking a bottle of water you know what you don't want to hear is running water or sea water and I was thinking oh gosh I and it was so lovely of her because she was obviously saying do you want to drink and I was thinking <laughs> I thought she was offering you the bottle to pee in <laughs> <laughs> that would have no, that um, would have made the papers microphone <laughs> that would have made the papers clipboard in the other I see I'm not you. sure what was going to happen with the bottle I see how generous that's great was, I think she was just offering and and then the, the scoreboard froze so people were looking around, not really knowing... When what was that? Was what score was this? Did it freeze? Roughly, roughly, where are we? We're, are we deep in the fifth, right? We're deep. Okay. We're very, very deep. <laughs> we're very deep. And the scoreboard freezes because it's, it never thought it would have to go that far. So no one knew what was going on. But I'd obviously been writing everything down and had been commentating on it. So then people started listening and looking in. And I remember holding a microphone and I was trying to sort of keep people out of the way and a clipboard and trying to write and then trying to watch the tennis. And it, but it, becomes, it became a, an event then, didn't it? It wasn't a tennis match. It was just a spectacle. And the fact that the scoreboard had frozen and it was... The, the quality of tennis wasn't great. <laughs> of course not. It, it was... No, there'll be a few chapters missing. We won't be yeah. sort of forensically going through every it. single I'm not, game. I'm not sure. I, look, I think if someone was going to write a book, aside from the players, I think Mohamed Leani would be better placed because he was in the chair and he was down courtside. But that's the thing. It's bringing it all together because we won't see that ever again. No, definitely won't now. And you have a unique insight into it because you were there covering it. In terms of degree of difficulty as as a commentator, even though you may not have been calling 
the entire time to actually have to stand there and concentrate on what's going on as they're cycling through game after game. When are they actually going to finish? That sort of thing is remarkable. They tried to get a co-commentator to me during the nine and a half hours, but they couldn't. They couldn't get them through the 12 deep, strong spectators. And, they, wow. and in my ear, they kept saying, you're just going to have to keep going. We, we can't get anyone to you. <laughs> he said, we're, we're trying, but we cannot get anybody. The commentary boxes were all full. I was leaning over the on the broadcast room. Was this, this for um, Radio Wimbledon? Yeah. Yeah. And so I just had a, a radio mic, so I had it. It's a big chunky bit of kit that was on the floor. Yeah. And at one point, the battery was about to go, and I said, "Look, I think the battery's going to go." And the engineer, he literally almost burrowed a tunnel under the earth, popped up with. I don't know where he came from or how he got there, but he changed the battery and then disappeared again because I said that the battery's about to go, and they were like. Oh, no, so but they couldn't get a co-commentator to me. And then on the third day, I was in position two hours before the match started because of the expectation of the crowds that were going to gather and again didn't have the commentary box. So two hours before anything started, I'm just sat there. It's amazing. Is that the waiting. highlight of your career? What is the highlight of your career? Tennis, I don't have the chance to ask tennis you. Tennis commentating. Or just sport in general or just career in general. I think there's been a few, and I think when you cross different sports, I do a lot of work in football as well. I've had yeah. amazing opportunities with Chelsea to meet amazing people and go to amazing places that I wouldn't have done otherwise. And there's some really amazing moments. From a tennis point of view, I think it was, it was commentating on Andy Murray's first Wimbledon title. That was huge because of where it was. And I was so nervous that day and I knew I was doing, I, I knew I was going to do the final before the final, it was sort of the schedule was there. And then when Andy Murray was in it and, just hugely nervous and the I, I didn't call the winning moment because we were doing split sets but just very nervous about wanting to get it right and it was such a big thing and the Isnema who was um, it was amazing it, memorable it, it was I it imagine. was memorable it was an event it was wonderful to be part of I was having a chat with with Ron from the BBC uh, Ron McIntosh who hadn't done any tennis commentary and he'd been put on that match he said look they just gave me that match to keep an eye on it then it became this huge thing Greg Rzezki was brought in alongside him and actually for the first time this year working with BBC television um, Ron and I started chatting about it and I said oh Ron I was doing that match as well and it was really nice to chat with someone else and he who had a lovely seat in a commentary box and a co-commentator but it was really nice to get his thoughts as someone who was quite new to the sport covering this epic contest. That's why I'm saying I don't we think should. it's worthy of a book, but it was a nice chat. <laughs> but, but why not document that as a moment, a, a big moment in tennis history? I'm sure someone will and it will be done. Because it was amazing. As you say, it's never going to happen. What, what would be your highlight? Of my career? Hmm. hmm. In tennis. In tennis, yeah, not in just tennis. in general. <laughs> I have my Peter Macasso highlight. Ooh. Oh, you go with that first. Well, I try and think of it. I guess... Uh, Probably Australian Open finals, because I did a lot of them. I've done a lot of them, obviously. Can you remember one that was the best? What was it? The one that went for... Were you there? Over six hours? We finished at about three in the morning. You weren't weren't there that year? What year were we talking about? What year was it? I'm trying to remember now. See, I'm horrible with dates sometimes and stuff like that. It's not my Makato moment. Which was Nadal and and Djokovic, which just kept going and going and going. And we were the same. We were split sets, but... I was doing the final set and it just kept going on and on and it was still, you know, we, we talk about sort of 
these guys going absolutely as hard as they possibly can. And the presentations, if you remember when they yeah. were leaning on the net and they had to get chairs to sit down and they were both being taken away by ambulance at the end just because they wanted to get looked over and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that in terms of a dramatic night was just amazing. When Peter really came to my attention, in terms of I've always heard him, because <laughs> literally, in, in, literally, in, always in Australia, the commentary box I work in for the BBC is next to Australian Open Radio, where Peter does some of his work, and it's meant to be soundproofed. It is soundproofed, but it's not Peter Mercato soundproofed. <laughs> and sometimes you you just sort of stare up at the wall, and uh, it, you can shut doors, you can shut everything, you can still hear Peter. So I've heard Peter for many years, but for me, it was at Wimbledon, and it was when. Nick Kyrgios. Oh, yes. <laughs> beat, and, and I might have remembered this wrongly, but I'm sure I haven't. It was when Nick Kyrgios beat Rafa Nadal on centre court. And I'm sure you were, if not, nearly crying. I was. Yep. I'll give you the backstory to that. Oh. I'll give you the backstory because for was um, Wimbledon, Wimbledon Radio, because you were in the box that day, weren't you? Yeah. Wimbledon Radio. And the way it works, as um, you guys know, but we get positioned if we're not calling... A match on on centre or number one court, we get positioned out to do updates on other courts. So we might be on court two, court three, something like that. That day, for the start of that match, I was on court eighteen. Now you talked about Isna Mahu, sort of the lack of facility there. We have a commentary box set up, but we don't have a TV monitor. So at these tournaments, the media at, the, at their desks or in the commentary boxes get. TVs, it's an in-house system and you can click around all the different courts and while you're commentating or looking at one match, you can keep up to date with the other. So this was huge in terms of Kyrgios because it was always, you know, this is his time and he's got all this talent and all this stuff. He's taking on Rafael Nadal, it's a huge moment. But I couldn't see it because I was still doing a match on court 18 and I'm sort of buzzing to the production team, uh, you know, Keep the scores coming, keep the commentary coming, because I need to know what's going on with this match. Anyway, it's rolling along, and Kyrgios is doing particularly well. And that my match had, had finished, and I think they knew they could sense, because I was amazingly very passionate about the whole thing. I don't know if you can quite believe that, but... I was sort of getting a little bit wound up because I was stuck doing this match and this match is just, it was a doubles or something like that. It was just lingering on. And they weren't, you know, if it's not a huge match, there's not a lot of interest, but you need to get in case something happens. They might come to you occasionally and I'm sort of buzzing down the line going, come on, you're going to come to me or what? You're going to go... And they could get that sense that, you know, my mind was elsewhere. And then at the end of that match, they sort of come on and say, okay, we're done now. Right, go to centre court. So all this is going on and this match is building up and I'm listening to the brilliant commentary and all of that sort of stuff. So I have hightailed it from court 18 to centre and that takes a little while, as we know, if you know the grounds at the All England Club, you work your way through the crowd. And I got there to, towards the end, the last couple of games, and I'd been so wound up and I'm sitting there. So I wasn't commentating the match, but we have two commentary boxes sort of side by side. One's the host sort of box where we do sort of the, the channel that goes out to all the courts and then there's the commentary going on and I'm sitting there watching this because in my mind you know putting taking off my commentator's hat and putting on my Australian tennis hat I'm thinking how good is this how good is this for Australian tennis 
at the time. <laughs> Lots changed since then, but at the time it was, this guy is making a major breakthrough. And I'm thinking at my tennis club, because we know, and Naomi and I have talked about this a lot, tennis is a hard sell now with so many other sports that are out there. And it was just that emotional moment of this guy who I've watched come through the juniors and seen him at wildcard playoffs and that the potential is there. He is dominating out there and then he won the match. And they did finish off the commentary and then the main channel comes back and it was Mary Rhodes who was on air, the lovely Mary Rhodes. I love Mary Rhodes. And she's come to me and I'm sitting there and I'm watching all of this happen. I'm thinking, how good is this? And yeah, I, I just got emotional at the time because it was just all that sort of stuff and I I think I remember saying to Mary because it's like you don't realise how good this is for Australian tennis and how good it is when I'm in club land going did you see Nick Kyrgios play and he got the win it's like you know if an Australian wins a Grand Slam title or that sort of thing because it has that flow through effect you've seen it here with Andy Murray along the way you know Joe Contra on the women's side who's finding some good success too it does so much. And, and that day, it was like it all just came together. And then all the other emotions and the fatigue and everything swirling up together led to that moment. Yeah, it's, it's I did such lose a, it for a bit. Yeah, but it's so, so similar for me watching Andy win Wimbledon. I mean, I've known him since he was 12, 11, 12 years old. And everybody knew that he was going to be a top 50 player. Even at that age, it was, he was just so extraordinarily talented. But he didn't quite know where he was going after that. And then as he got older, it was like, OK, he's probably going to be top 20. And then it was top 10. And, and uh, yeah, to, to see... I haven't been part of the journey at all. I've been a spectator. I mean, he was the same age as my brother, so they kind of grew up together. But what a... Yeah, just... I was so emotional when he won. It was exactly the same thing. I felt privileged to be a part of British tennis. I mean, I had nothing to do with Andy Wimbledon. <laughs> I'm not taking zero responsibility over that. Um, but, you know, I, I've been around him. I've seen how hard he's worked. I've seen some of his training sessions, which have just blown my mind. And, and as I say, knowing him when he was young and watching him win nationals when he was really little as well. And it was just, it was just uh, knowing somebody individually and being a part of what British tennis was and at that moment British tennis was that it was, yes. it was nothing else yep. apart from that it was the most important thing and it just summed everything up and it was incredible and it was spinding and I just bawled I bawled I, I described that moment and, and obviously you were in centre court for that particular moment but I'd gone outside because on that day there were so many live sites actually on the ground so there was obviously the hill which was packed there was court two I think court three was opened as well where they've got the big screen so people could actually sit down and and watch the match if they couldn't get in and then people milling around the other courts and I thought okay this is happening and this is rolling and I'm going to see that moment but I just wanted to gauge the reaction and the reaction I described it as like every single person on the grounds of the All England Club, finding out they've won the main prize in the lottery all at once. That's what it was like. And I've never heard at Wimbledon anything like that. And, and I know he's done it, you know, since, but that roar, that release of emotion from everyone in the crowd on that day, not just on centre court, but around the stadium as well, boy, that was a special moment, special moment to be a part of. Yeah, it's, it, it's just because of what it, it meant. And again, it's the same for you. That was the, big, the most overwhelming feeling of what it went, 
what it, what it meant for my sport, for this sport that I love and have dedicated my life to. Because there have been struggles with Andy with the British public, and it, I mean, it seems crazy now to think of it. But uh, you know, it was just before then that he had started making a bit of a breakthrough with tennis fans um, and with with British sports fans and just with the British public in general. But when that happened, it was just. It was just he—he he will be universally loved, and at the—and at the time, uh, and actually for probably a couple of years beyond that, especially when he made number one in the world, he was just the biggest British sports star. Yep. Just he was. He was achieving more than anybody else. What he was doing was incredible. He won Sports Personality three years, which was a you know, which is a big deal because it it was it was very hard for him to get a look in originally because a lot of people didn't quite take to him, uh, and he was so misunderstood. And knowing him as I do, it was just the frustration of he's so misunderstood was really difficult and it was just then it was just got to the point well now he's won Wimbledon so who cares if he's misunderstood he's 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 no you that's all disregarded it was just ah oh, it's just such an amazing it was moment. amazing it was amazing to be there when he won to to be in the commentary box to see the celebrations but then to go out within the ground and just to see people and talk to people and the amount of people calling and wanting to hear about it and to know about it and what was it like and just that buzz around Estebelentina around the championships that around the whole he had done the whole it across finish line he was Wimbledon champion and there'd been the build-up to it and then just to have as you say that release he was the champion it was really nice to walk people have been I remember that tournament was so good and people were just building and queuing and wanting to get in there was just a feeling about it and then for him to come through like that it it was amazing it was it was a very special moment it was one of those those things and and yes you know I like to play up the British Australia rivalry in a playful sense most of the time Uh, you know when I'm over there but I was genuinely happy, and I think most people from around the world were genuinely happy that that was actually done. I mean, you know, yes, we take a little bit of joy at giving you guys a bit of sticks, like, when did you last win? But actually, that particular moment and the way that it built up and all of that sort of stuff, and, you know, that, that was from a tennis point of view, but it's also been interesting this year being based in the UK as the, the last part of the World Cup finals were on and to get a sense of that because, I mean, we have it, in Australia, Australia qualified, but we're never, well, not in the short to medium term anyway, going to challenge for the World Cup. And it's great that we're there and we have supporter bases that go over. But what happens once England started the campaign and things were actually going particularly well? And I sort of call it sort of that, you know, proportional sort of celebration going on because it was just from our perspective, because we're used to, you know, being in sports where we've had a reasonable amount of success in. We're not used to that sort of long, long, long wait for a whole sport for a whole country. Uh, but the way that it was building up here, and boy, if they had have made the final, they had have made the final, it would have been absolutely unbearable. It would have been absolutely crazy. And it, you see what that sport means to people. And, and it was the same for us in 05 when we qualified for the World Cup after 32 years or whatever it was, you know, at, at the Olympic Stadium. And it went down to a penalty shootout. We've missed out so many times. But, you know, that roar of finally getting in, kick-starting, all that. It's what sport can do. It's the emotions. And, and Nebby, you've been, you've been part of it. We watch from the outside. We're passionate about it. But you've been within it. You know these highs and, and the lows that come with the sport and the passion it can bring. I mean, you can hear Peter sort of 10 blocks away when he's commentating. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's just it's so hard to not be excited. I mean, honestly, the other day, I was uh, I was commentating and uh, and I, I literally fell off my chair. 
the point was just that. What's could... commentating with me, oh, by was the way? With, with you, Peter? Yes. I couldn't remember. Um, <laughs> no, but I... Memorable. Yeah. I do... Yeah, I do tend to throw my arms around and, and you nearly get fell enthusiastic. Off your chair. So what were you doing? If he got No, you... I did fall off my chair. Okay, you fell off your chair. If you were that excited, what on earth, Peter, were you doing? I don't think... Was it a moment in the match? It was, it was just a, it was an amazing point. <laughs> it was an amazing point. Yeah. Oh, no, you were shouting away. It was great. Because that's the thing, is that the reaction with radio commentary, the reaction to the point, I don't need to give straight away. So I'm doing all this silent stuff because because Peter's got it covered. So he, he'll he be, or you, Gigi, if I'm working with you, so you guys will be shouting, saying how incredible it is. And I've just kind of silently got an open mouth and, like, waving my hands, going, ah! I, I, know, I know you will be shocked at this, Gigi, but we haven't done television commentary together we've only ever done radio commentary and, and the same with you Naomi but um, when I'm doing TV commentary I, I can't help but move around as the point's moving around like if it's really close or something like that because you're not having to describe what's going on you're going to analyse it at the other end but if it's a really exciting match you get caught up I can't help but get caught up in a match whether it's What do you prefer TV or radio commentary? Uh, well 21 years in radio so that's always the, the first sort of love. I mean, I, I enjoy both, but for completely different reasons. I love radio because you get swept away in it. We've got a little bit more freedom in terms of what we can actually talk about, obviously depending on the, the service and the outlet and all of that sort of stuff. But to, to bring that sort of painting the picture and that sort of thing, we can have a, a little bit more, more fun with that. TV tends to be a bit more sort of regimented and you're going to lots of different broadcasters, so you need to be a little straight down the line and the analysis tends to be different. And that's fun in its own way as well. Probably more because I've done a lot more radio across my career, but I really I enjoy both. My favourite thing with Peter, you must have noticed this in the commentary box, my favourite thing is Peter's line calling with his hands so you're in the middle of a point and it might be 20 30 shot rolling you're so carried away and you're following it and suddenly this palm will go down or this finger will be raised and each time it just makes me want to laugh so i'm getting towards the end of this but because he does it in in such a sort of pushes the palm down <laughs> raises the finger up and I just you, each time I want to laugh when you play naomi mm. at down at club level and you haven't got lines judges and umpires and all that sort of stuff you have to do that yeah i do that but so we're not I'm, playing I'm, Sorry? <laughs> what? Yeah, they've, got, they've got umpires. We're <laughs> not nice playing. Judges. I know, but it's just, it's a force of habit that I just do it. It's like, it's there. So if, if, if I, you know, if it's a fault, not only will I say fault or no, or whatever it is, but I will, I will signal as well. But also if I'm playing doubles, I will signal to my partner as well because sometimes it's close. But if I'm 100% sure, if I'm standing at the net and I'm 100% sure that that was out, I'll go like that. Do you think that. you two would make good doubles pairing? I don't know. I've never seen you play, Pete. But well, I've got my racket. I think Naomi okay. Every year scary, I bring my racket so... to events. It's one of the hard parts about travelling on the tour in terms of getting out and about to actually have a hit with people mm. because the ex-players have played so much over their careers, they're not necessarily going to be running out and go, hey, let's Quite have a tough hit. taskmaster. But the commentators... Because they're so busy, it's very hard to find time to try and get out and have I a I think I might hit. laugh if I played with you. Just, I think you'd just make me laugh. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I don't think I'd get a lot of tennis done, that, especially if you kept putting the palm down and the finger up. I would that, just. Uh, that, yeah, that passion extends onto the court as well. Too. <laughs> I know that that'll shock you as well, but I get very wound up in matches too, more at myself than anything else. Yeah. To to try and 
play better and, you know, if I'm down, try and get back up and all of that sort of stuff. Um, yes, I can get carried away with those sort of things too. But it's hard not to be passionate. It's hard. It doesn't matter what the sport is. I mean, tennis is obviously the, the first love, but I've done basketball, did table tennis at the Commonwealth Games uh, this year, um, football with the World Cup. I've done volleyball, beach volleyball. It's hard not to get swept up when things are getting close or the crowd's getting into it or something like that to just get swept away with it too because that's what the audience is hearing or seeing if it's TV as well. If it's your first time hearing, listening to Peter Mercato, Peter is going to be on ATP Tennis Radio through Paris, Milan and London. So give, you'll, you'll chuckle at times. Uh, fantastic commentator. Very happy oh, thank that you. Peter has come over from Australia. And thank you for bringing your passion Although you started the podcast asking why I didn't like shortbread, but thank you for bringing your passion to the podcast. We, we have to all get very passionate now, as it were, because there, there, are, there, are, done. Well, there are matches to be played. And I want to see if we can try this Naomi running thing. So we're just going to hang back a little bit and, and Naomi's just, just going to run. A lot of stair work here where we are right now. Yeah, again, stairs. You run up the stairs, right? Why, why would you walk? I've never seen you run up the stairs I would only, but I would only, But I would walk if I'm with you or if I have a drink or something. Otherwise, I'd run. I've never seen the side to Naomi. I need to see the side to Naomi. Well, I, I've seen it. <laughs> it's not that interesting it's just odd so when are we hitting oh yeah oh i don't know well, we have to wait towards the back end of the tournament so that courts that's are what available. they all say this is the you know this gg yeah, it's what they all say available. oh in paris there's not a lot of courts just to it's warn you. it's like that thing of you know it's it's like that reunion sort of thing when everyone gets together and you we see this because we're all so busy doing other things but we know people from everywhere else and it's in the first couple of days you, you're there and you're racing to do something you go oh we'll catch up we'll catch up yeah, with the same politely saying she doesn't want to play with you and it, <laughs> and you get to that second <laughs> Week and it's like, when are we catching up? And you don't have the time, and it's like, oh, yeah. shit, that 30 seconds yeah, was great. Yeah. No, no, I'll call you. Yeah. <laughs> so Peter's going to wait the call from Naomi to play tennis. I'm going to wait for Naomi just to run off somewhere randomly. You got to, she's going to run away from you because you're going to ask about the invitation of the wedding. Oh, that's in your bag. I still... Yeah, I've had it in my bag for days. It's, it'll, <laughs> yeah. it'll get to you eventually. You are on trial. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not sure. I think I have to be really well behaved in, in commentary today. I'm like, Naomi, oh, I think there's a lovely point you just made there, Naomi. Just, <laughs> oh, I can't so, wait. So at the end of the day, she'll just sort of slide it across the commentary box desk. <laughs> Let so, that be your marker. We don't tend to get a lot of feedback if maybe. things are going well. This this would be the ultimate sort of is thumbs this, up feedback marker for you. Is this a cliffhanger <laughs> to end the podcast on Ooh. this week? Tune in next <laughs> to see if Naomi gives me my wedding invitation. Okay, I'll, I promise I'll be ruthless. If you if you make the cut, I would expect nothing less from you. You, you got you got to earn it, you know. So tune in because at the moment I'm not sure. Naomi's off for a run, and, <laughs> and we're all off to be very passionate about it. And Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for being no, part of the you. podcast. No, thank you. This has been fun. I love it. Thank you, Peter. Have me back again. Absolutely. At some stage, we always just turn up on podcasts. Perfect. Yes. Thank you. Great. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks.